On Second Shot, we cover two new stories every week to find out what kind of wisdom the world is dishing out today. And at the heart of every one of these stories are people, just like you and me, who've had to overcome incredible odds, to face the greatest challenges, to struggle and fight back. But now, we're changing it up. In these episodes, we're skipping the headlines and going straight to the people that inspire us to grow, to be bold, seek change, and act courageously when the rest of the world may not. A second look, a second chance, a second shot. This is Second Shot Sit-Downs with your host, Jenny Anchando. Hello, everybody. Glad to have you here for a Second Shot Sit-Down where we try to give you a, a second shot, a second perspective, hopefully some inspiration and just a way for us to look at the world a little bit differently. And the woman to do that today is Heather Creekmore. I interviewed her, oh my gosh, probably a couple years ago about a book that she wrote uh, about comparison. And now she's out with this new book called The Burden of Better, How a Comparison-Free Life Leads to Joy, Peace, and Rest. Who would like some rest around here? <laughs> I know I would. And, and, and so we bring in Heather now. Hey, Heather, good to see you. Hey, good to see you, Jenny. Glad to be here. Oh my gosh, well, I thought a lot about your, your last book and the interview we had there, and I thought we needed to do sort of a, a longer format, and this really gives us the opportunity to do that, to talk about this burden of better. And when I, when I think about that, oh my gosh, it's such a struggle because it's almost like we teach our kids, you know, do better, be better, and then you grow up and as an adult and you think, wait, <laughs> is that what we should be doing at all? What, is that sort of what made you write this book? Tell us about the backstory on that. Absolutely. It's like, when does it end? And, you know, you look at my first book, of course, was on body image, the yeah. comparison struggle in body image. And you look at women in their 70s and 80s and 90s still on that treadmill of trying to look better. And I thought, I don't want to do that. There has to be more to life. And then as I started kind of broadening my perspective, I started to think about all the different ways I was striving for better in everything. And I mean, you know, it's it's what we all do now, right? Because we have HGTV to show us how our perfect home should look. And we have Food Network to show us how our plates should look at dinner time. And the pressure is just intense to make better every part of our life and it's really it's really wearing it is it's exhausting and so sometimes i wonder okay do we just pick one thing and say well i guess i'm going to try to do better at this but then ignore the other things like my food's going to be terrible but maybe i'll be a good mom i don't know is there a way of paring that down or is the book more so about eliminating that entirely the book is more about getting rid of that elusive concept of better, right? There's always ways that we can grow and change and that's healthy. But if we're always climbing the ladder of comparison where we feel like we have to keep up with her or her or her or him or him or him, uh, it never stops, right? There's no top rung on comparison's ladder. You just keep climbing and better is elusive. You'll never reach the destination if your destination is better. So there's a healthy way to set goals. There's a healthy way to try to achieve our dreams. But if we're just always chasing this ghost of better, we're never going to find it. Okay, so let's talk about that healthy goal setting. We have a very, you know, high aspiration audience with this. And so everybody, you know, wants to sort of be their best. So how do you do that? How do you improve upon yourself without falling into that better trap? 
Well, I think one thing is to remember to have an abundance mentality instead of a scarcity mentality. So a scarcity mentality, it's a, it's a phrase coined by Stephen Covey in his famous book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People from mm-hmm. decades ago. But a scarcity mentality says that there's only enough for certain people. So if you see someone accomplishing something that you want to accomplish, you should probably just give up <laughs> because they already yes. have it done. But an abundance mentality says, hey, like I can do this too. If all the books haven't been written, all the songs haven't been sung, all that needs to be invented hasn't been invented, there's still room for me. And so if I'm gifted and talented in these areas, my responsibility is to use my gifts and talents, not to scroll Instagram and decide that everything good's already been done and stay on the couch watching Netflix. Right. I'm curious about speaking of scrolling through Instagram, do you have any sort of like guidelines or rules that you set forth for yourself to keep you from comparison? Because I think it's sort of like a natural thing to do when you see somebody, isn't it? It it absolutely is, but it can be so dangerous. In fact, studies show that cancer patients who compare themselves to other cancer patients actually inhibit their own progression with the disease. They get worse because they're comparing themselves to others. And so, and this applies, there's lots of other studies out there that show how comparison actually hurts us. And so when I'm scrolling Instagram, what I like to do is I like to just kind of, I call it a gut check, where I kind of pay attention to how I'm feeling. And if there's someone whose posts regularly make me feel eh, for Mm -hmm. lack of a better way to Mm -hmm. say it. It is an official term. (laughs) <laughs> Great. Well, I I unfollow them or, or hide them from my feed for a little while. And, and sometimes it's just work that I need to do in my own heart. I need to decide, okay, am I just feeling jealous of them? Is that a healthy thing? It's not. So I need to work on that. Why do I feel jealous of them? Why am I envious of them? But then, you know, sometimes it's like, really, what you're putting out there, girl, is <laughs> just, it's not healthy for anyone to see. So I need to step away from together. <laughs> so you have to know the difference. I am going to tell you something. I had the the strangest thing happen with our three-year-old the other day. Some people will hear this or see this and think this is really, really innocuous, but I don't know if maybe moms will relate to this. She loves The Little Mermaid, and she's always, you know, dressing up and doing The Little Mermaid thing and doing The Little Mermaid, and she became so upset with her hair. She has, like, no hair. Um, She doesn't. And so she has this funny little hair extension that she puts in and she suddenly realized that it's not real. And, you know, she said, can we order some? Can we get some? Um, You know, we do Amazon delivery. And so I got on this train of thinking, like, what have I been showing her about what's real? Like Ariel, she doesn't understand Ariel's not real. Real women's hair doesn't look like that. If they do, it's extensions and that's fine. But um, it was this very strange thing where I started thinking about the imagery that I'm, you know, just letting her see and experience and how that comparison can start so young. Absolutely. And I mean, it's so hard on our girls and our boys too. I mean, increasingly studies are showing that boys are struggling with comparing themselves to others much the same way that girls have been, you know, doing this for decades. But just, just think about the access to information. I mean, 20, 30 years ago, like we can only compare ourselves to women we saw on television. Little House on the Prairie. Like it was Laura Ingalls Wilder and that was it. Right. And so, but now and, and that, and, you know, there was a physical aspect to comparison that could happen because I could see, you know, what you looked like. I could see what Laura looked like. But, you know, it's 
there was one one aspect where we can compare ourselves to each other physically, but now I can actually see what your home looks like from you know your your Instagram pictures. I can see what you had for dinner. I can see what you did on your vacation. I mean, there's so many more areas that we have the option to compare ourselves to others in now, and it just can become overwhelming. And I think especially for our young ones, our girls, it's hard to see the difference between like reality and you know this is just a pretty picture that someone set up right <laughs> and uh, teaching them the difference is, is, is challenging so you say you have your book set up in in three different sections that all kind of guide us through some some help can you go through the sections and kind of give us the short version so we can benefit from that at least from from hearing it Sure. Well, the first section is really just about the dangers of comparison. You know, we know all the cliches, right? Comparison is the thief of joy. Um, perhaps you've heard this one. It's don't compare your behind the scenes to someone else's highlights reel. Yeah, so true. Um, and so we know all these cliches, and yet we still compare ourselves to others. And so the first part of my book is really just a call for us to wake up and be aware of all the different ways that comparison damages us and our relationships with others. I mean, comparison kills marriages. It kills friendships. It really hurts the way, well, like I said, you know, if we're comparing ourselves to others and not motivated to get up off the couch, it, it's going to affect the way you work. It's going to affect the way you relate to people. It affects everything. So that's the first section of the book. And the second section of the book, I take a deep dive into what I believe is the cure for comparison. And that's a greater understanding of God's grace. Uh, I, I believe that God put us on this earth for a purpose. And when we really fully understand all the grace that he's shown us, it can really help us to feel freer to just chase our purpose, kind of like with, with blinders on where we can stay totally focused on what he's given us, what he's blessed us with, and what he's talented us to do, and we can just chase hard after that. And then the last part of the book is actually about gratitude, and it's amazing the data that's out there that shows how our brains were wired to respond to gratitude. When we are grateful, it actually induces joy in us, and it's so simplistic, and we've heard a lot, but just being thankful for what we have can change the whole outlook of our day and our life because we've shifted our perspective away from, I don't have that, I don't have that, I'm not like her, to what do I really have and, and how can I use it today? I like that. And can you give us a sort of daily tool, practical usage for the gratitude? Is this something that you set aside time for? Is it something that you try to remind yourself of when gratitude isn't there? Explain how people can start to implement that in a way that makes sense. Absolutely. I mean, I say five five things a day. Think think of five things every day that you're grateful for, um, and start off in the morning. And especially if, like, when I give counsel to couples that are having a problem, um, the one of the first things I ask the wife to do is write down five things every day that you are thankful for about your husband. And it's amazing how just that simple act can change a marriage. But if you just start every wow. day by thinking of five things. Let's pause on that for a second with talking about relationships. And I wonder too if this would work so so for marriages, but then I also wonder if that could even work with colleagues or with jobs that you're not sure about or things where, you know, we're just in this weird pandemic time too, where there's a lot of things that people are doing that they aren't entirely thrilled with. Do you think that that practice can turn it around 
And what do you do if you feel like the gratitude, like you don't feel grateful for any part of it? Well, if you don't feel grateful for any part of it, I mean, I would recommend <laughs> writing a list. I don't know. I'm a, I'm a big list girl because yeah. I feel like this gives us something. They give us something tangible to you know read back. Okay, what are the facts here? Because so often I think our emotions overwhelm the facts and we we miss the truth. And so write down the facts. What is it that you're actually like struggling with, wrestling with? Like what what are the facts of this situation? And then think about like what can you change? <laughs> and in some cases we can't change anything, right? But in other cases there are things we can change, but we can always change our attitude. We can always change our outlook. And so even if it's just being grateful that you have a job, period. If that's the only thing you can be grateful for, just be grateful for that in this season. I mean, and then, and then grow from there. Sometimes it's, I'm thankful that I have an office or a cubicle or, sure. or I have a chair that's comfortable. I mean, you can go as, 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 you know, seemingly insignificant as you want to, but being grateful does, it changes our chemistry, our neurochemistry, it changes, it changes our hearts. And so it's, it's, it's a really important practice. I like that as, as a relationship tip too, because even if, um, even if the other party isn't doing it, even if the other partner isn't doing it, um, I think it still can move the needle a little bit because then they may feel that you, that you're being grateful toward them. Absolutely. They feel that respect, right? Because, you know, when we don't like someone, I mean, just to be honest, like when we're kind of in that er mood with someone, yeah. again, same term, <laughs> but you know, they can tell, right? Like we're not really hiding it, even if we try to or pretend to, we're not really hiding it. But, you know, it works for the kids too. I mean, there are times, seasons, you know, maybe your kids have been home since last March <laughs> and you're right. to your with your kids, right? But, but it works with your kids. You just kind of shifting focus to, okay, what am I grateful about with this child? Like, what do I appreciate and love about them? And it can really help take the pressure off the, the you know, the ugh in the relationship. Yeah, the ugh. It's another official term, you guys. You know exactly what she's talking about with the ugh. Um, I think it's, it's page 27 when you talk about some of the specific comparisons that are made. Can we go through some of those with regard to the burden of better and how how you would deal with them? Sure. So like comparing your home to other people's homes. Um, yeah, I, I'd say just be grateful for your own home. And I, you know, I don't mean that to sound trite. Like I feel like if I feel like when I was in the throes of comparison, if I heard someone say that to me, I, I would probably be shouting back to the TV. Yeah, right. You haven't seen my kitchen. Mm. Or, yeah, right. You haven't seen my, you know, my decorations or whatever. But I really do believe that it's you know, I mean, especially here in the U.S., we are so blessed. We live so much better than than the whole, the, you know, person of the globe does. Um, and so, just really counting things um, in our home. I'm thankful that I have a home. I have a place to live. I'm thankful, you know, that that I have a place where we are safe or um, where we are warm or, or cold here in Texas in the summer. Sure. <laughs> So, you know, that that's how I'd handle the home one. I mean, there's there's ways that we compare our bodies to other women's bodies or men compare the way they look to other men. And, you know, it all of these different areas um, from comparing your, your work life, comparing, you know, what you've accomplished. I mean, sometimes it 
it's silly, right? Like, especially as moms, Jenny, I don't know if you've experienced this or not, but like, you know, you're just trying to make it through the day and then you get on Instagram and you see like the craft that they make yes. together. How they do those crafts. When, like, how'd you get to a store? How'd you get all your kids to a store? I have a lot of questions about those crafts. Do you have a helpful in-law? I don't know. And, it, and it's true that one little picture can get a, a woman who's in a really positive mindset like quickly down a spiral. Exactly, you could have had a fantastic day with your child and you see that picture and you're like, I'm out, mm -hmm. I'm a horrible mom. Mm -hmm. And it's, 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 so that's the danger of comparison in every one of these areas. It just really does rob us of the joy of everyday life. And if we can live without comparison, oh, we can just rest in what we have. Yeah, well, and this kind of leads to the next thing I wanted to talk about. You have a chapter about the ideal me. So the crazy thing is, I think there's a lot of adults who don't even know what the ideal uh, them is, like who am I? So <laughs> can we do a condensed version of how do you find the ideal me? Yeah, well actually what that chapter is about is about how to stop pursuing the ideal me. Oh, because, okay, okay. Yeah, because I think what happens is we set ourselves up to chase this ideal version of ourselves and it's not attainable. Look, I was Again. setting everybody else up for it, Heather. <laughs> Good thing you're here. <laughs> well, because really what happens is our ideals are often fiction, right? Because we don't normally, like we can have goals, right? But our ideals, they're, they're a whole nother level. And so what happens too often is that we come up with these ideals kind of in a vacuum. Like for example, maybe you decided how your marriage be before you got married. I know I did. Mm -hmm. I decided what kind of mom I was going to be before I ever had children. <laughs> and then actually getting married, actually having children. Wow, those things make those ideals a whole lot harder. Um, we can It can relate to the way we look, right? Like we can have all the ideals in the world, but sometimes, you know, you hit, you hit a certain age or you hit health issues and your control over those things becomes very limited. And so it's, it's about releasing all of those ideals and recognizing that um, comparison can really hurt us in the area of our ideals. So the reason why I wrote the chapter is I have a lot of women that will tell me, oh, I don't compare myself to others. I just compare myself to the me that I want to be. And it's like, well, that sounds okay, but where did that ideal come from? And I think if you start to pull back all the different layers, what you find is those ideals were developed. I mean, for me, some of them were developed in childhood, right? Things that I imagined I would be like as an adult. And where did those ideas come from? They didn't come from my brain. They came from things I saw on television. They, they came from magazines that I read. They came from other influences around me. So even though I don't think currently that I'm trapped in comparing myself with the people around me, I'm kind of trapped in my head this comparison that I did 10, 20, 30 years ago. And I'm still stuck comparing myself to other people instead of enjoying just the way God made me and being okay with, okay, this is the body he's given me. This is the life he's given me. This is the marriage that I need to work on. <laughs> these, these are the kids that I have to raise. And, and taking the pressure off from being, for me, it was being like the organic, like, you know, my kids will never eat frozen chicken nuggets, mom. Well, <laughs> guess what I just made about an hour ago? <laughs> frozen chicken nuggets. Uh, you know, it's so just taking the pressure off to like give yourself grace to just be a real person yeah. and, and, and take the pressure off. 
It sounds a lot like when people say that they want to look like they looked when they were 18 or it's sort of like the ideals version of, I just want to look like I looked when I was 18, but it's like, but you were 18. That person doesn't exist anymore. Right, and how weird in a way would that be to run into 70 year olds that all look like they were 18, right? Like that would just be confusing for society, I think. And there's there's a movie, Age of Adeline, where she doesn't age. Yes. And it's fascinating because you realize, you think, you know, anti-aging, that's the way to go. But you watch that movie and think that would just be really odd. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's so much that grows and changes about us beyond just our appearance. That if our appearance didn't change, you know, we kind of, we diminish all those other things too that kind of go with the whole package where you see an older woman, you're like, okay, she has, she has the maturity. There's some wisdom behind, behind those, uh, those crow's feet. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, you know, I can only imagine when we talk about second shots, I can only imagine that what drove you to delve into this was personal experiences and reflection. If somebody's never dealt with the burden of better, they're not going to go and write a book about it. So how did you, I would like to hear a little bit more about your personal journey. What prompted you, you know, to, I do actual research on this topic and find solutions for yourself, I'm, I'm guessing, and, and for the rest of us. Absolutely. So I, I am type A all the way. I had a card um, that was on my computer. I think I probably found it in college uh, that said, commit yourself to constant improvement. And that was my mantra. And I mean, I, I had that card on my computer for 20 years uh, because I believed that was the way to go. You just keep improving, you keep getting better. And what I realized, well, really, really, I think what happened was I tried all the things and and better kept eluding me. Like uh. I kept thinking I had I had gotten there and then it was like, oh, but you know, she's still further ahead. Mm. <laughs> or, oh, you know, I was almost there, but oh, a little bit. And and just, you know, the pursuing all the different things that I thought, well, you know, for example, my marriage, I, I knew we could have a better marriage. And I about drove my husband crazy. The first probably three or four years of our marriage, just like, we need to make this better. We need to make this better. I mean, we need to make this better. And he would constantly come back with like, how do you know? Like, why? Like what, you know? <laughs> and it, it wasn't, it wasn't like him being ignorant. Uh, I mean, there's always marriage struggles, but it was just that I had this standard that was impossible for our relationship to meet. And I was so just, ultra focused on improving everything that it was really unhealthy for our relationship. We, we couldn't just be, we couldn't just experience marriage together. It was a project that I needed to make perfect. And, and then, you know, the same thing happened with children and the same thing happened with a lot of my uh, career pursuits over the years, just like how, how can I be the best? And, and, and the frustration over and over again is really what led me to stop and say, okay, what am I really chasing after? Is it is it healthy? <laughs> the answer to that was probably no. But then beyond that, like, is it is it good? Is it enjoyable? Like, am I still enjoying this? Am I still enjoying my life, or am I just so caught up in this pursuit of of you know this can be better, this can be better, this can be better, that I'm really just draining the joy and the life right out of myself? And and that's that's really where I landed. Yeah, and it's hard to be, I guess, probably a married to somebody who's trying to make the relationship better if, if they think it's okay and then they're like wait a minute heather we are awesome <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And, and this question would always be like how do you 
know it needs to be better. And I, you know, and I didn't really have any tangible data other than an occasional like, well, you know, this couple does this. Oh yeah. And this couple does. This. Oh, husbands love that. And, and, yeah. Oh, for sure. But then what was interesting was some. It was some time after, you know, we really started having more serious conversations about, like, how do you know this couple does this? I started actually asking these other women, like, so you do that, right? And, oh, now it's just that one time. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and I finding out, like, the data that I was like, oh, well, wait a second. I pictured their relationship to be a certain way, and here, go figure, they're just human, too. Right, <laughs> you know? right. So what a relief. Okay, so I would love to hear how life is now, now that you've sort of worked through this and removed yourself from that that perpetual like grasp to be better. What is life like? What does that feel like for people who are over here and want to get to where you are? What what does that freedom feel like? Well, I don't I don't want to pretend that I never struggle because that wouldn't be authentic, right? I mean, I think this is something that we're all always going to struggle with until we die. But what happens for me now, a lot of the times, Jenny, is that thought comes, that comparison thought comes, like maybe it's, I'm, I'm on Instagram and I'm like, wow, I wish I looked more like that 20 year old I just saw, <laughs> or, or for example, right? But I'm able to answer it back. And I think that's, that's the key is to not stay there, to not dwell in what, what 10 years ago would have been, okay, I need to find my next diet and I need to just everything and go to the gym right now. Um, and you know, find all the ways to try to take myself back to looking 20. Can I schedule surgery? What else do I need to do mm -hmm. to make that happen? And instead of going down that spiral of how do I improve? How do I get better? How, how can I compete? I'm able to stop now and just say, okay, you know what? I'm grateful that I'm healthy. <laughs> I'm not 20 anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for my body that still works most of the time <laughs> the way it's supposed to. And, and just be thankful. So, so it's not like you arrive at this place where you can stop comparing altogether, but I do think you can live mostly comparison-free when you're able to know what to do when those comparison thoughts hit. Yeah. And that's what I try to offer I like the honest answer on that too, that, that, she, that Heather wrote a whole book on it and she's not totally free from it. So I guess you don't want to then double judge yourself. Well, oh shoot, I compared, oh shoot, I compared. And I just heard the, the lady tell me to stop comparing. Um, I think that there's a fear for people that if they stop, if they said, okay, I'm gonna stop trying to perpetually be better, that, they, that their goals would somehow slip away from them and they would just rivel into nothing. When people are really high achievers and really motivated in that way, and they're the always be better people, it's a little frightening to step back from that. So what do you say to them? Well, I think that, I think that they're missing is the amount of stress that you are under when you're constantly trying to be the best and what that stress actually does to your body. And so for me, one real tangible, real example is in the area of exercise. I always wanted to be the best. I always wanted to be better. And I taught exercise classes for a long time. Me too, and Heather. You did? Yes. I didn't know that. Yes. So, but I burn out my adrenals. Exactly. I had to stop completely. And when you're used to getting that like spin class high and you have to stop exercising completely for six months, that hurts. And that's a crash. Whereas I think if 
just kind of realize, you know what, it's okay to be in thinking of the tortoise and the hare example. Like I was always the hare. Like there's no use in doing anything slowly. <laughs> Fast is always the best. <laughs> Get it done. But the tortoise actually wins the race. And not that I'm going to convince any hares watching today that they should be the tortoise because it's just not going to happen. But if we could just slow down a little bit and recognize that we can still reach our goals by taking it a little bit more <laughs> slow, a little bit more methodically, you know, inching towards their goals instead of racing there, I think it's better for overall health. Yeah, that's a that's a great message. I couldn't agree more and had that I had that same experience where, you know, some tests showed, okay, you've got to just like halt everything and it's it's not ideal. You guys don't do that. So there was this study that you mentioned that actually examines how comparison and self-criticism can impact our ability to accomplish our goals in the way that the more that you look at what other people are doing and feel unsuccessful, the less likely you are to actually pursue your dreams. Explain that. Is it because we're just wasting so much time looking at what other people are doing? Well, it's demotivating, yeah. right? It's, it's kind of like I was saying earlier, like, well, she's already done it. There's already been a book on that topic. In fact, the ironic thing is when I started to write my book on comparison, <laughs> I took, took just like a brief minute away and went to my email and I got an email about a new book on comparison. And I mean, I was maybe three or four pages in and I was like, well, forget it. I guess I don't need to write a book on comparison then. <laughs> and then I thought, how ridiculous is that that I'm sitting here comparing? <laughs> I'm writing a book on comparison, but I mean, that, but that's what happens. We we decide that there's there's nothing left to be done. It's it's all been done. Um, there's you know, and that, and that's so not true. I mean, there's there, everyone's perspective is different. We're all unique, and we bring a, a fresh you know just a, a different take to everything we do. Like you know, the world needs all of our talents. Yeah, and um and so yeah, it, you know. You know, or if you get caught up in the one, I think the study actually talks about how, um, how someone won't run a marathon because they saw someone already run a marathon and they're only, you know, up to like three or four miles on their marathon training, um, their marathon training regiment. And, you know, it's like, well, she already ran the marathon. I might as well not do it. And how ridiculous is that? I mean, it's, why were you doing it anyway? Right. <laughs> so, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's comparison can really just demotivate us and that's why it's best just to cut it out. Heather, this has been a great conversation. I've really learned a lot from you and I think this is going to be incredibly helpful. A reminder, you guys, the book is The Burden of Better by Heather Creekmore and Heather, remind everybody where they can get it. You can get it on Amazon, all the places books are sold or you can connect with me on comparedtohu.me and get it through there. Oh. Heather, thank you. It's really, it's given me something to think about, that's for sure. And I guess I'm gonna go make some chicken nuggets and read the book, the rest of it that I haven't gotten to already. Thank you so much, Heather, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Jenny, bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, you guys, so these episodes are on Thursdays on CW33. If you are here in Dallas, they are always up at secondshotpodcast.com. And I will link in the episode notes, Heather's social media, Heather's book, etc. If you guys have a second shot guest, somebody who you think is inspirational, who has taken a second shot at life or has a second perspective, shoot us an email, secondshotcast at gmail.com, and we will talk to you soon.